go. Let's oh, go, yeah, go. yeah. How are we gonna go? Okay. Uh, Intro music has happened. Now we talk. It's happened. People have us on the headphones. Yeah. Hi, this is for the girls podcast. I'm Nick Westrate. Yes, and this is also for the girls podcast, and I'm Jason Black. You say it twice, <laughs> I know. You say it. It's two podcasts, but in one, and it's a podcast double whammy for you today. Uh, Hi, Jay. Oh, yeah. You just keep skipping over what I think is your favorite part. Oh, yeah. Who is this? This is a... Okay, this is a podcast I'm shocked. This was like your big thing that we had Gays and fandom. And this is a podcast uh, about queer representation. And it's a podcast for mermaids in wheelchairs. Yes. It's a podcast for all you Delta Dons looking to go to paradise. It's a podcast for everyone who makes a really big noise. This is a podcast uh, for people who probably haven't seen or listened to 90% of the shit we talk about, as we're doing today. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is really going to be... Well, you can get it on CD. You can get, you you can, can get it on... You can, buy, you can buy the CD of it. You can buy the CD. No, this is on Spotify. No, I know, I know, I know. And it's also on YouTube. <laughs> and um, you can buy it on places online. Um, hi, Jay. How was your week? Good. Hi. We're, hi. we're back. We took a little week off. We, we sure took did. a week off. Um, and we're starting uh, again this week because everything got fixed. Uh, yes. I'm, yes. I'm not racist anymore. <laughs> Mom, I'm not <laughs> racist anymore. <laughs> it all got fixed. <laughs> I, I, uh, I donated $5. <laughs> and now I'm done. I also retweeted some people, and so I'm done. No, that's not funny it's not going to be fixed this is a long lifelong process as we said last week in unpacking privilege and unpacking your own complicity with a white supremacist power structure that is something that you have to work on constantly so we hope that you are renewing your thoughts and re-examining again today and maybe reading a different book than that one book everyone told you was going to fix it yeah i you know I think that there's a lot of uh, white people waking up to living in their skin in a different way. And I think mm. there's a lot of reactions to that. I say continue living in that skin and examining it. It's not going to go away. <laughs> Just the way yeah. that black skin doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, you know, we're going to have to do that work and that work for me is going to be forever. <laughs> I think that that's yeah. a big realization is that, oh, I'm always going to... Uh, live with this kind of privilege and having to constantly dismantle that. And like, like Nick said, it's lifelong. You yeah, hear that bird like, chirping? Yeah. I've got birds chirping outside my you got a nest. Today, you got a nest? Got a blue, usually, blue bird nest? Usually it's just sirens and, and car alarms. But um, we have birds today in New York City. Who knew? Um, yeah. No, I had that too. Like I always, before this enlightenment this reawakening whatever we're calling that this move this new portion of the black lives matter movement since the deaths of george floyd brianna taylor and amud arbery i was you know i always think of myself as like a, a pretty enlightened liberal person and i thought i had like reached the end of that journey or the top of that journey because i read the newspaper and i read the certain writers and i know certain facts and i've been to certain museums but that's not true 
I have been examining that myself, and I just want to encourage everyone who's doing this work, if you're not doing the work, just turn off the podcast, because we don't want you here. Um, <laughs> no, we do. We do want you here. So you can start now. <laughs> if you can start, if you promise to start right now on your anti-racism work, you can continue listening to these I think, two I think if you, talk. I think, no, no, no. I think, let me, let me rephrase you better. I think, um, <laughs> white person, I think, I think if you don't think you have any work to do, you can turn off the podcast. We're not, we don't need yeah. you. If, if you are a white person yeah. and think that A, it doesn't exist or that you're not part of the problem, we, goodbye, goodbye, we're good, fuck off. Just hit, just, yeah, get off, get off our airwaves. But, you know, uh, what was I saying? I was saying that just because you've, you've, you know, done all those things, you're not done. And also... Don't let these like bouts of discomfort or angst about all of this stuff or confusion or fear that you're going to say the wrong thing. Don't let that make you stop because that discomfort and fear, that white discomfort and fear is not nearly as much discomfort and fear as black Americans have just like driving their car. So just keep pushing forward. Discomfort means you're learning and you're growing. Yeah. Just because you're confronting something inside of yourself doesn't mean that you're an awful person. It means that you're part of a broken, heinous system mm-hmm. that has indoctrinated yes. you since you were born. Yes. And so, yeah, be so. Let's be just be uncomfortable, and then figure out how to start working out those knots. So yeah, also, learn about the systems of oppression so you can help in the fight the best way you know how. So you can use your skills, whatever they are, or your platform. If it happens to be as massive and international as this diva podcast that we have, then you should use that. But even if it's a small platform, like how you use that to amplify voices and do the good work. There's so many ways to do the good work. I mean, I think one of the coolest things for myself, also thinking that I was like, you know, some semi enlightened, very lazy liberal is to, to literally start understanding my local community and understanding Mm. the heinous laws and people that run it and understand Mm. that, Oh, like we do have power by, learning about that and then demanding its change and continuing to work. I am so um, moved by that. There's in LA, there's not just one protest. There's a protest in every County and every side of LA, West side, East side, Alhambra. Like it's (laughs) South pass, South pass. It's um, (laughs) Eagle rock, Eagle rock babies. It's, I'm, 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 I'm deeply moved and I, you know, some days are better than others, but I, I think, you know, I, it's, it's going to be the long, long haul and I, and I'm get excited too. That's another thing. Be excited by this. It's great. (laughs) And, um, you know, you can just find your own way and do, but make sure that you're doing something and helping out. I mean, I'm finding, I have some amazing, beautiful shout out to, um, all my girls of LA artists who are making things with their hands and donating those things and auctioning those things and giving the proceeds over to all of these endless amazing organizations that we could be donating to. So it's like, yeah, I think I said this last time. What are you good at? Take what you're good at and put it to this cause. Do you have a rope? Are you good at tearing down statues? Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Go ahead. Take one down. (laughs) Pull them down. So proud of my, um, former surrogate hometown of Richmond, Virginia, I just have to say, for getting rid of all these fucking Confederate monuments on Monument Avenue. It's 
fucking fabulous and way past due. And I'm so proud of everyone in Richmond who's been doing that. And yeah, podcast. Yeah. And also don't let, you know, you still get to love what you love. You as much as you're learning, like you don't fatigue yourself and still, you know, go to what brings you joy. And that's what we're going to do this week. Right. We, we are. I mean, we're, we're still committed to unpacking our, to unpacking our, um, institutionalized mentality. Uh, yes. that says that, you know, we are everything and our culture is everything. And we're going to continue to do that on the podcast. And, but most importantly, we're going to continue and focus on trying to bring, you know, as we said, we started this podcast to just divert you for, for a wee bit of time uh, from this, this world. And that's still our mission. Yeah. And to lift up the great and overlooked female entertainers of um, our history and our culture. And so we're going back to the source. Are you all so fucking excited? That's right. It's a bet. It's a bet episode today, kids. It's a bet it so yeah. we're doing pretty esoteric, I think. <laughs> Is not, it? not not like crazy esoteric. It's not crazy esoteric. You're gonna hear some of the hits, some of the hits you know. You're also gonna hear some hits you don't know, but you should know. We're doing the 1980 concert film Divine Madness. The second feature film from our diva, Bette Midler. If you're new to the podcast, Jason and I grew up being obsessed with Bette Midler from a very young age. And um, that was just one of the things about our personalities that freaked the fuck out of our parents in Michigan. We, Nick and I were trying to figure this out. So uh, an undermentioned person in this podcast, or in the, in the origins and the lure of our love for Bette Midler... Uh, was that uh, we started this with um, two childhood, two straight, well, one of them was my brother and our friend Robbie. And they yes. just didn't kind of quite have an option to go down this road. We just literally were like, "This, there's one car, get in. And um, right. <laughs> so Rob, who is, you know, the, the sweetest thing in the world, but but straight, <laughs> you know, I think I remember Rob and I loved Aerosmith and, and the Beach Boys. That was like Rob's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, he Get did on love that. the Beach Boys. We loved also that. Aerosmith's big ones, yeah. bitch. Oh my goodness. Um, Diva News <laughs> and uh, Diva News, Aerosmith. Diva News, Diva Aerosmith, loving an elevator. <laughs> um, but, but for some of we convinced Rob that like his mission of all missions was to buy all the movies. So for yes, us, that was his assignment. I would like sit with him on his like ninth birthday, and and his aunt would get him like big business, and we would be like, oh, just what you needed, Rob. <laughs> big business on VHS, and so what we I think what we realized is we both saw this movie around that time at Rob's house. Yes, at Rob's house, Divine Madness, the movie. It was a movie that was too well. Also, Rob would do it because Rob's parents would let us watch fucking anything mm-hmm. like a- any rating. And this movie is definitely an R rated film. Yeah. We watched it first at Rob's, but we don't really remember it. I remember well. being a, a like, lot of it went over my head. Uh, it went over my head. And I also think, and this is why I think what I think is esoteric is like, I don't think that many people love to watch concerts, like sit down and watch a, a concert film, a concert film in general, you know, there's, yeah. There's, you know, there's a couple classics, like The Talking Heads Stop Making Sense and stuff. Yes. I actually think that, but I think because of that, like, the talk, the, the Stop Making Sense is so um, theatrical that I actually 
I mean, I watched. I sat down while I was having dinner the other night and watched a full Tina Turner concert from Arena in Germany. Well, no, I'm not talking about us, honey, because <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not. That was I'm just not on YouTube. Referring to us in that when I say people, <laughs> and so I think when we watched this, I don't think we had ever really seen something like like a concert. Before. Right, and we hadn't seen a Bet concert before, and we didn't really know what that was. I hadn't really even seen, yeah, a concert that I could really re- that I could have ever really related to that was in that no. league. Maybe like that Les Mis concert on PBS. <laughs> that, that, that. And so when we take that to this, it was slightly confusing. And so I think we were kind of like, wow, this is an oddity, but we don't, we did it. And yeah, all the references kind of like, also the look of it, I don't think we knew how to kind of couch or relate to. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. It's very theatrical. Um, we will have photos on our Instagram, but... Um, let's kind of put it in context for you in terms of where Bet is in her career at this point. So she, it's 1980. So her, the first album, Divine Miss M, came out in 1972. At this point, we've had five studio albums come out. Her fifth uh, studio album, Thighs and Whispers, just came out. She had also released a double live album uh, called Live at Last that she had toured around the country. So for, uh, so now Sweetie goes Live at Last and then Thighs and Whispers. Yeah, yeah, oh. that's what I mean. I was just oh, talking about the five studio Oh, battle, I mean. battle, 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 <laughs> battle, 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 um, But actually in uh, Live at Last, her other big concert album, she sings about the state of the world in 1976 in a way that really... Um, you love this. Remi- ...reminds me of this moment that we're in today. So- I like this country, this poor old baggy country. Oh, this poor thing, this poor country. This is the kind of country you just want to go, oh, oh, poor thing is so gutted. Oh. I knew once knew a song about this country. It was a... a Oh, actually, it was about the planet. It went, it went, here I'm still a-spinning, still a-spinning round, turning, ever-turning, God, I'm running down. Once I was a virgin, shining virgin queen. Uh, then they came and raped me, or something like that. I don't remember, but it was real heart-rending at the time. Well, it was. It still is heart-rending. Fuck you. Well, it is. Yes, inhuman you know I just can't stand them when they're inhuman fucking machines walking around not funny Cleveland the best things in life are here uh huh fucking Cuyahoga caught catching fire you should be proud bacteria can't even grow in Lake Erie didn't you hear oh god do something this isn't my town. This isn't my beat. I work my own beat. So after that, she went on a world tour. She wrote a book. And then she made, had just made her first movie, The Rose. Yeah, so, the, so Beth's career is real peaks and valleys. And maybe some flatlands there. And, yeah. and when Beth kind of was all the rage when she, first, when she came out with her first two albums... And then she kind of plateaued with her next couple of ones. I mean, she was always mm-hmm. still kind of sensational. Her tours always sold out. Her tour, but she, and, she, and, and because of that, she just kind of endlessly toured. But the, the albums, they, they just, they, they didn't really, they weren't really hitting. 
kind of culturally the way that her when she debuted what was and this to probably is one of her biggest peaks was and the hype around the rose yes 1980s so she had like really delayed making a feature film she turned down nashville she turned down rocky the fortune she turned the fortune she turned she was gonna be adrian kids she was gonna be adrian and fucking rocky but she turned all these things down because they wanted the first Bette Midler movie to be uh, an event. And it was, and we will cover that movie in its entirety too. But in terms of an apex, she won two Golden Globes for The Rose. She was nominated for Best Actress and she won a Grammy for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. And so like this is apex, apex, apex of the career, I think. This is as big as it gets. Yeah, well, she'd been working so hard, so hard. Like I said, like, the touring was so... That's such a grueling life. And she had, like Nick said, came off this world tour. So kind of a lot of this work was paying off. Yeah, all of this hard work. And yeah, and she had just fired her manager. And her mom just died right before this, too. You, you catch me at a very peculiar point in my life. Because everything so thus far has been leading up to this moment, and here I am. I know. I know we have. I mean, I knew when we came to do the interview that this was a very particular time with everything that's been the best and mm-hmm. with some of the things that have been the worst. And mm-hmm. we really have gotten, you know, if we wanted to be corny, at the crossroads. Really, at the crossroads. And we don't know which way you're going She's to... She's standing right in the middle. She's not moving an inch. <laughs> so, and her manager, Aaron Russo, kind of really was a person that protected her, that did a lot of work that she didn't really have to do and kind of always... Mm-hmm. Just was, kind of, yeah, kind of her night. I mean, he's kind of gross, but... Though I was looking at some old pictures, like kind of snack. total snack. Kind of Such big snack. snack, like a farm boy. He reminds me of my uncles. He looks good he's like, like my he, He's like kind of big. He's, yeah, he's like this big Italian guy with long hair, very 70s. Anyway, he was a dickhead. Fuck him. He was, yeah, he was, but he also like really, really loved Bet. Like, like, yeah. wor- did worship Bet and really wanted the best for her career. So as chaotic as he was, and it, as much as Nick and I have read, like, their relationship was super chaotic. Leaving, she kind of was alone. She kind of had to do everything on her own. And yeah, she had to become her own manager in some way. I don't know why she didn't get just get a different. I know, uh, I know. I think that could have <laughs> helped, honestly. Like, um, she could have just called up Cher, or Stevie Nicks, or someone, and been like, "Do you have a recommendation?" Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's not how it worked back then. <laughs> I, or or maybe, maybe she's know. just worked long enough that she kind of knew what, what to do. You know, she kind of had it. And, and, and also maybe she was just like, don't want to do this again. But, to, but with that, she had a, her, this next project is this, is this concert. So she took it all on kind of by herself. Like there was no middleman. It was just her. It was just her and her two closest collaborators, Jerry Blatt and Bruce Valanche, with whom she wrote this show. And it started off on Broadway at the Majestic Theater in a show called Bet, colon, Divine Madness, exclamation point. And <laughs> Specific. I was, so you can watch this on YouTube. You can watch the Broadway version of the show, which is very, very different than the show that ends up becoming this film. But when I was watching, the audio quality is really, really bad. But God bless whatever gay snuck his fucking camcorder into that theater. His over-the-shoulder boulder holder. Like, how did like he a... get this? How did he do that? 
I don't know. I'm bless you, sir. Whoever the fuck you are. Thank you for that. Cause it's a real, real amazing archive. You have to be like a hardcore fan to watch it all. Cause the audio is so bad and you can't really see her. But she gives you but a I lot wanna... of stuff that that isn't in this movie. Um, yeah. And kind of has a whole... Yeah. You get a real sense of what she's like when there isn't a camera on her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And just she audience. Really, she just, just audience. the audience. It's just theater. It's just going to happen that one time and disappear. And that's completely different than when there's a camera on it. Also, there's, also like when you do these concert films, there's not just a camera in front of you. There's cameras behind you, around you. So it's like that freedom of movement that she's obsessed with. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to always be kind of aware. You have to be extra aware of that. And also what I love, which she does in all of her concert films is she that are being filmed, she apologizes to the audience and thanks them for putting up with this. Yes, she always always acknowledges that there are cameras. Yes, and I love that too. But she did this show and on Broadway, and she got really bad reviews. The audiences she got mixed. She got mixed. She got mixed. She got mixed. It was mixed, but she was pissed about that. You know, she always has got. I mean, after she was a big sensation, they always people always have kind of not known really how to categorize her beyond being like that. She's like schmaltzy showbiz. She does it. She's very excessive, very body. And then they always talk about how needy she is at the same time. Yes. And like, that's just too, that's just one too many complexities for a woman to have. Right. Right. It's also, they don't, they couldn't ever uh, fathom someone who wanted to span this many genres, you know, it's again, an example of she's too com She's too complex artistically they just want to put her in a box. They want to put her in the Barber box or the Tina Turner box or the, you know, the rock box or the Broadway box. And she just refuses to be one thing or the other. She's both and. Right. They also always criticize her for having bad taste. It has, it's a very thin line, once again, between the good taste and the bad taste that I walk. I think that, uh, I think I do what I do very well because I, I have a real inbred innocence about about what it is that I do, about my own particular vulgarity. And I find it, find it I have a good sense of humor about lowbrow comedy and towards it. And uh, I think that the vulgarity really is sort of part of it. First of all, because I'm a woman. You know, a man can say anything and get away with it. Mm-hmm. But when it comes out of a, the mouth of a woman, it has to be tempered with a certain amount of innocence and and uh that's what i do so what what, what, we, what we're leading up to is this is kind of the um accumulation of that being on the road for all of these years uh yes. kind of taking that the la- the I, I would say her her ultimate concert album that we have really which is um live at last it's a double disc and that was in 76 and from 76 up to uh, for these last four years all of the things she has done has kind of worked her act into this space. Like, this is kind of the accumulation of all the work that she's put in. Yes. So they decide to film it. They make a, It'll be her second feature. And she decides for some reason she doesn't want to produce it. She just wants to be, in her words, an actor for hire in this film. So Michael Ritchie is hired on by the production company to direct and produce the film, which is ultimately was not a great move. 
also when Bette was doing this show at the Majestic, Aaron Russo, her old manager who she had fired, came backstage and got really into her head about the show and told her it was really bad and that she what she needed to cut and what she needed to put in. So Bette ends up firing all three of her backup singers, the Harlettes, and hiring all new Harlettes. Well, two new Harlettes and one old Harlette. The to, oldest Harlette. The Ula. oldest Harlette, Ula, Ula Hedwig. And then the other two Harlettes for the movie were Diva Gray and Jocelyn Brown. And they they were... So she flies these three new Harlettes out to... Pasadena, where they film Jason's fucking paradise, Pasadena. Yo, paradise and is like so nice. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's very green there. I don't know how. Well, it's because it rains so much. Because apparently, because <laughs> all through the shooting of this film, it was pouring rain. The basement of the theater is like flooded two feet, and Bet gets pneumonia. Bet gets full on walking pneumonia while shooting this. But because she didn't want to seem uh, like an insurance liability, because if you shut down production on a picture, you know, that you get a reputation with the insurance industry and you become harder to insure. She was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. Well, also, like, it's that would, I, I also do imagine how hard that would be to have all of these things in place, to have procured the theater, to yeah. already put out, to have possible, sold the tickets. Sold the tickets. You know, get, get get the band. Get the. There's so many moving parts that like yeah. That, like and then you know, and concert films probably would were a little. You know, it was a shorter shoot. You know, so the studio yeah. was probably like, ah, no, we're not going to keep. We can't do any more money in that. And you got, yeah, the so, show must go on. And all of that to say, she is not in the best of voice in this concert. Um, she's in a more raspy voice. This is more rock raspy. But you can hear, Mm -hmm. especially at the beginning of the show, Mm -hmm. you can hear it. Mm -hmm. You can really hear it at the beginning. And it's, and it also adds to this movie, gets a lot of cuts. Like there are lots of weird cuts in the movie between nights. Because obviously they filmed it on several nights. They filmed it on three nights on 10 cameras. That's 90 hours of footage, kids. Um, this will also, I'm just warning everyone now, this is going to be the longest episode of our podcast ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know. I know. I just looked at our time and I was like, oh girl, we haven't fucking even started the goddamn Okay. Concert. So let's start. Let's, let's start. start. Let's start. Right. Okay. Y'all. So you pumped? Are you juiced up? Did we juice you? <laughs> Shit. Okay. So we're starting the act. Here we go. Here we go. Who was with this chicken cow? I love this opening. I fucking love it. And I know it's for the it's film, but it's so favorite. hot and fun and perfect. Served uh, up. The big noise from Anetka. And just to like give you guys context with it, she fully, she comes out visually on a platter in a chicken suit, basically. She has all these feathers and she has a rubber chicken as her purse. And I don't know why are the Harlettes dressed as chefs? Are they going to cook her? Is that the idea? Maybe they cooked her. Maybe she's cooked. <laughs> Maybe she's cooked. Oh, 
I, all of this to say she's sick. I love watching a performer who's sick. You can only use the amount of energy that is necessary to perform the task. And she just gets into her pocket right here from the start. I also think that, you know, there's that adage of like, on what I can perceive as my off night, or yeah, when I was sick, as my best performances. And I think it really did help with some of her rawness in this. But my favorite thing about this is this whole monologue in this that starts off the show is that she just endlessly insults herself and the act and tells you how terrible it's going to be. And then she calls herself God. Welcome to another foul evening with the Divine Miss M. After many a summer dies a swan, but not when they're stuck in a turkey as big as this one. Watch us as we scratch and claw our hour upon the stage in yet another feeble-minded attempt to turn chicken shit into chicken salad. Make no mistake about it, eggs will be laid tonight. Ain't that right, girls? Oh, my girls. My three favorite tchotchkes on the break front of life. I'll never forget the first time I found these girls selling their papayas on 42nd Street. So flush, so filthy. The astonishing verbal abuse they heaped upon me made me certain we were destined to share the stage someday. Not only are my girls fine singers and dancers, not only are they gorgeous and talented, but they also think I'm God. Ain't that right, girl? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's my like that's my diva. Like that's what I love about it. It's like the ultimate expression of self-effacing. Ugh, yeah. And of course she has the monologue that for Nick and I is the best thing which we're gonna yes yes to me her mission statement yeah her mission statement which is which is where she does the the again about face where she acknowledges that she was this kind of tacky queen and that she really wanted to come out here and and give a more austere um artistic performance and then she follows it up with which is i keep saying might be my next tattoo we'll see when i get it maybe i'll just do it on my love handle or something but of course the best line of them all which to me is what I live by. I just want to leave my sordid past behind and emerge from this project bathed in a new and ennobling light. I wanted to come out and be this sweet, pure, honest, unadorned person that I really, really am. I wanted to show you the good beneath the gaudy, the saint beneath all this paint, the sweet, pure, winsome little soul that lurks beneath this lurid exterior. But fortunately, just as I was about to rush down the path to respectability and righteousness, a wee small voice called out to me in the night and reminded me of the motto by which I've always tried to live my life. Fuck them if they can't take a joke! And to me, that's like, I don't know, that, that energy is just what then she pummels you with from then And on. that's the thing that people couldn't get with her is that she's just like, people weren't ready. This is pre-Madonna kids. This is like, you did not have women doing this. Like, not since Sophie Tucker or Mae West or Phyllis Diller, you know, that great tradition of women. We didn't even, we had Joan Rivers. Yeah, but you didn't have the body. Joan Rivers was, um, and I don't even know that Joan Rivers wasn't this foul. And she wasn't raunchy then, either. You know, she was kind of doing housewife shtick. This is body. This is just like good old body, shake them if you have them, entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. that wasn't that that really wasn't the rage kids never really became the rage again like she kind of she kind of stands out in this I mean Cher was was um, outrageous but she wasn't body 
No, she wasn't. She wasn't sexual. Like I mean, Beth's whole thing with her dress in this. She has this great, really low cut dress that really pushes up her tits, and she keeps saying she chose it for the guys in the balcony. And then she can like open it a little bit more. I also, and she like dances it for them, and like. Did you see when she when she was like um, when she when she was like telling her backup singers to uh, turn the men into pigs? Ladies and gentlemen, a rousing hand for the semi-classical Harlots, ladies. All right, girls, sing them your siren song. Go ahead, turn them men into pigs. Not the band, you idiots. Those that bunch right over there in the front row. Now I'm of a challenge, huh? This group is already well on its way to Oink Oink Land. Oops, so sorry. Once again, behaving in a manner I had sworn to eschew. Thank you. Don't you think that that was a kind of gay? It's totally a a gay I was like, my first gay reading, she was like, oh, they're already on to Oink Oinkville. I was like, oh my God, that's a... She was calling them pigs. Yeah, she was like... So I was like, oh shit, that's okay. I, I, I picked. Okay, so the next song. <laughs> so, is... no, second song, bitches, yes. <laughs> song number two Fuck. is Paradise, which is an amazing song. I actually was stunned by this in the Majestic version of the show. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things ever. I think. Yes. This is my new favorite from this concert. I've seen this concert so many times, and this is the one that I was just like, oh, this. So she. So she. If you just see that, when you see the opening number, she is running on stage you know, just galloping. And then she just takes it. So you already think you're at a 10 up, up. Oh yeah. Can I, can I, can I read to you real quick? Pauline Kale's review of this. Cause I think, Oh please. Yes. I love it. So, Pauline, so Kale. Pauline Kale is kind of the mother of film criticism. She, uh, she kind of, she's everything. She's, she, she's slightly controversial, but I, I love her as Nick knows. I love hugging film criticism. Um, I love a review, bitch. Love it more than the movies. And so she's my gift to God. And um, she's, she's kind of a bedhead, too, uh, supposedly. Um, anyway, so this, is, so this is her review. You ready? Uh-huh. You don't know where her energy and spirit come from. She goes from one mood to another in triple time, as if she's so alive that all these emotions just spurt out of her. In the rose, she was probably able to give her passionate skill performance by drawing from the same source that Streisand drew from in Funny Girl. These untrained artists had invented their own training. They had been treating each song they sang as an, encapsul- as an encapsulated, highly emotional story. Midler, a comedian who sings, and Streisand are very different, though. When Streisand th- sings, her command of the audience is in her regal stillness. She distills her own emotions. You feel that she doesn't need the audience that she could close her eyes and sing with the same magnetic power. Streisand's voice is her instrument. Midler's audience is her instrument. She plays on Uh us and we bring her to life, or at least she makes us feel that we do. Oh, full gooses, full, full body gooses. Full full body goose. And then just a little bit of the, uh, of the the next paragraph. Midler hold, Midler holds you by her changes. She moves like a flighty mincing Mick Jagger with a high-heeled, tiptoed prance and furious jiggle. And even when her feet don't move, her features do. Oh, oh I love that so much. Isn't that fab? Well, it is, there's something about that vocal in Paradise, too, that is Mick Jagger. Like, 
higher than that and it's the second second song and to me it's a surprising choice because it's from an album that no one talks about or listens to called um, Broken mm-hmm. Blossom it's a um, I mean I listen to that album all yeah, the time it's I a love Harry it it's my dinner music a cover mm-hmm. too which is like really interesting that she and he kind of wrote it in this kind of 50s old timey thing and, and that's and she kind of she kind of does a straight cover of it on this album and then she just so then she takes that which I wouldn't have ever guessed and then explodes it. promising the audience something she's gonna take you away okay so the next song is for me i mean i'm gonna say this so many times so you can just turn off the podcast now this is my favorite song in the show maybe ever (laughs) it's probably not true i'm gonna say that about four songs in this show this uh, this album is my favorite bet album this is my number one really yes absolutely it's always been on my list for number one i can show you my list for my number (laughs) Okay. (laughs) and then he and then he looks at his notes and it's not it's number three (laughs) (laughs) but this next song was actually cut from the show the version of the show that i own which i bought from apple somehow jason bought his from a company we're not supposed to support that I'm not going to name. My, uh, don't worry. It's my name. mom. My mom supported it. I did. It's <laughs> of a forest. It's different. Uh, it's also the name of a forest in Brazil. But you, yours was restored. The song was restored in your version, right? Yes. Yeah. So they. Um, so there was a theatrical release, and then they. And then when. The, and then when we got on our moldy VHSs, they cut things, and this was one of the cuts. Yeah. To, I guess to make it shorter, which is like why. Who cares at this point? It's a concert. Like, you think people are going to rent this because it's like 10 minutes fucking shorter? No. If you're going to rent this, you know what you're doing. Shit. 
Yeah. So she says, you know, that she's got two ballads. She's going to sing two ballads now, an old one and a new one. And the old one is her iconic song, Shiver Me Timbers, which is on her greatest hits. It is also in Live at Last. This is your favorite it's version, st- huh? I don't think I knew well, that, I think actually. this is my favorite, my favorite performance. She starts it, and she throws her hands over her face, and she says... Sometimes I think I'll just go mad. I'm leaving my family. I'm leaving all my friends. My body is at home, but my heart's in the wind. With the clouds like headlines. On a new front page sky Tears are salt water The moon's full and high And I know Joe Conrad Would be proud of me Many before me Been called by the sea to the crow's nest Sing your say Shiver me timbers I'm sailing away Like you should just YouTube this shit, kids, because it's this is how you deliver a fucking song. It's so beautiful. And um, it's a Tom Waits song. And Bet was really close with Tom Waits. And we covered her performance of Martha on SNL, another Tom Waits song that she did. Um, in our first episode, we actually covered a lot of these songs in our first episode, whatever. but whatever. And I love Bet doing a man song. It's about her being a sailor. And the fog's lifting, the sand's shifting, I'm drifting on out. Oh, Captain Ahab, got nothing on me. Swallow me, don't follow me, I'm trapped. Also, this song growing up was big for me because I always thought as a a gay kid growing up that there was going to be this moment when I was going to have to run away, like I was going to be found out and I'm going to have to run away now. And that is, yeah, this song was just a real Mm -hmm. anthem for me Mm -hmm. as a kid. You know, like I knew that. Mm. So it was like she saw that in me and gave me this little number to have, to hold on to. The fog's lifting, the sand is shifting, I'm drifting on out. Oh, Captain Ahab, I'm longing to hear from you. Swallow me, don't fight on me, I'm trapped. like what Paul and Kale was saying it's like she uses the ending of the song is the most bet ending ever because she uses humor to cover the tears like hope triumphs like silliness she uses her silliness her humor to get through it you know it's a song about leaving everything behind and at the end she does this silly little and she does this kind of silly little jig please my family tell them not to cry 
goodbye is written by the moon in the sky. Nobody knows me. I've got no reason to stay. So shiver me a timber. I'm Listen, listen to what Ms. Pauline Kale says about this. Midler gives the song a workout, going at it again and again, and topping one big finish with another. Along the way, she may swing it, wail it, shout it, rock it, and throw in some scat, gospel, funk, and punk. She's a bosomy clown who flirts, then weeps, and then clowns again, while keeping the mm-hmm. passionate, tragic tone. Right? Yeah. That's what you were just saying with yeah. that song. It's like, she's... Yeah. That the vulnerability of that too. It's like you're singing this. Um, you, when, you know, you know that whole laugh, laughter, laugh, laughing and crying. It's the same release. So we also did a yeah. Joni Mitchell episode where that line is from. <laughs> you can listen to that too. Um, but it's but it's kind of what Bet, that's Bet's ethos. You know, it's yes. like this song is about getting away and just leaving, just kind of is kind of escaping your life. And it's really deep, and then she's gonna do that. She's gonna do that kind of clown thing, to 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 kind of bring up how maybe uncomfortable the emotion is. Yeah, or like what you have to do to get yep. through that. Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. This is one of her hits. She loves to she loves to bring it back. We gotta see her. We gotta see her do it. It was great. We did get to see her do it. She did this at the end of the kiss my uh, the first act of the kiss my breast, and when I saw her do it in Madison Square Garden, she got stuck <laughs> on her carousel horse. And so it's this beautiful ending and she's like, la, 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 shit. <laughs> it's all, and she, she started, gets on this carousel horse that's supposed to go up and like take her away up into the skies. So yeah, she can't she even stuck. get off the horse. So she, she started doing jokes from a carousel horse above Madison Square Garden and it was one of the greatest moments of my life. Perfect to the song and just what we're talking about. <laughs> And that was the second song. That was the third song. That was the third song. So then she does her new, she does her new uh, ballad, which isn't even in any version anymore, but it's on the record, weirdly, and is the only single they released from this show, from this record. Yeah, this is a, this is a sweet. I don't have too much to say about this. This is a sweet song. It's like a sweet. It's called My Mother's Eyes. I wrote the lyrics uh, to it and I made it into a Mother's Day card for my mom one year when I was a kid. Bitch. <laughs> it just says last it's a minute what am I gonna do it's a generational song about <laughs> having your mother's eyes and seeing when are you going to see the truth through them uh, it's a it's um it's a little too saccharine okay. for me but it's okay got my mother's eyes and my father's here does anybody really care it's getting cold out here My mother's eyes. 
And then she starts talking about her world tour. And then she starts, Bette always has like um, a section in the beginning of the show that's just stand-up comedy as herself, Mm -hmm. which this section is. Mm -hmm. Like a script, like a kind of like a scripted bit. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually, I'm talking about the Majestic show show so much because I had never seen it before. You sent it to me the other day in full. And... It made these jokes, while these jokes are amazing in this movie, mm-hmm. they they seem more pat than at the Majestic. She's like freer with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not, she's a little bit, you can see the, the gears turning and that's also part of her being sick in this. Like, I think her timing is a bit off on these versus the Majestic show. Yeah, it's a little bit I, raw or... Um... Not wrote. I don't know. I mean, it's still so much fun, but also, you know, they, 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 like I said, they called from three nights. So we're getting kind of a patchwork and whereas she's just like sitting. Yeah. You don't have her momentum. It's yeah. You feel like the momentum is off because of how it's cut by Michael Ritchie. I think, I think that that's like, Bet also says of this movie, like later down the line, she said like, she wished she had a director who understood music well, because, she's, because Michael Ritchie could never count a bar. And also she he, hates he hates music. music. And like, it was a studio head that got him to do this. So they just kind of yeah. like randomly assigned someone in there. And I will say she uses the phrase Kel Surprise. Kel Surprise. Which I did not know as a kid, but then would always say Kel Surprise all Kel the Supri- time. Kel Surprise. <laughs> I would say it to my dad and he would get so angry. <laughs> little, 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 our little, our little subversions to that we give to our parents. Um, but my favorite joke, my favorite joke. She talks. She has got great jokes about the UK. She talks about her world tour. She has funny jokes about the UK and Paris. But my favorite is about Germany. Then it was on to Krautland, on to Germany. I wanted to be good there and be, you know, generous and kind and all the things that you're supposed to be when you're the, a guest in somebody else's home. But my little Jewish heart was leaping within my breast. Shrieking, get me the fuck out of here! <laughs> I like that she said, um... And all the countries are very far apart from each other, and they none of them speak each other's languages, and they all hate each other's guts. So I had to go all the way around the world to discover that they're really not my kind of people. <laughs> I'd love that, too. So I'm like, yes. Uh, oh, I mean, I also love the fart jokes. Oh, I can't believe I've been reduced to telling fart jokes. Oh, no. Yes, indeed. Uh, honey, I got fart jokes up the ass. Anyway, no, no, no. Please don't make me go there. <laughs> what I think is, what I do think, what we're what also is that you're little, the, the, that's lacking in there. What you're saying about with the momentum is that what Pauline Kale says is that her energy, her talent derives from the audience and that build, what they give her, and kind of the choices mm-hmm. that she makes, and that is a kind of literally. You have to see that literally. Because you have to kind of yes. see how what direction she decides to take in the delivery and 
the things that she decides to do. And even when we yeah. talk about the next com- comedy section, I feel like that's real chopped and that they just kind of p- so pull choppy. kind of random things from there. So, yes. I also wish she had, in the Majestic show, she had like a little station to go back to by the band where she would get handkerchiefs and blot mm-hmm. and like blow her nose mm-hmm. and stuff. And it was such a great, she used that movement in a really good way to leave the audience for a second and then turn around on them. And I wish they would have given her that for this movie. Yeah, I know because that's that's that that's that strategic. That's a breath there that keeps mm-hmm. people being like, "What's next?" And then she's, it's a prop. Yeah. It makes her think like you think she's taking a break, but she's actually setting you up. I know. I get so. I guess now we know what we're, we would do if we could go back in the time machine. Is just shoot, try and shoot this all the way. Like try and get it so choreoed that it's one performance. And maybe even just be like, fine, like we'll see cameras or something. I mean, technology was not so great now. And the, and the, well, kind of like, and I wanted to bring this up, kind of like how they shot Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, Aretha Franklin concert, which we covered last year, which they covered with lots of cameras and only over two nights. And it's sequential what they ended up making. But I think the other thing that's interesting is both of them being at the apex of their careers, like very different careers and Amazing Grace is a very different concert and album to this concert but both of them had so much trouble with the project with the sinking and with the sinking and then Aretha didn't want it released and she changed a lot of it for the album so Bette ended up dubbing a lot of vocals for this and in the movie you can sometimes tell when she's lips like when it's dubbed well, if you're hardcore or maybe you can if you're hardcore that. Yeah, and then on the record, you can tell she also, like, amps up some of her vocals. She redoes some, like, the record's cut of Paradise is much better than the movie's version of Paradise. So we so we did the, so she does the world tour, funny yucks, yucks, yucks. And, and then she, the she, like, gives you your hit. She talks about the rose. She talks about making the rose. Now, and let's talk about this. Is this your favorite version of the rose? Absolutely. Mine too. Absolutely. Mine too. 400%, yeah. I also think this is one of the only times they get the lighting right in this concert. It's beautiful. Like, I love the side lighting on it. It's so beautiful. I feel like, you know, she she really does go schlocky on a lot of songs, and we love her for it, and that's her choice. She never, in all of her career, schlocks this up. She always underplays nope. it and does a really mm-hmm. quiet reading. This is her most quiet, and almost... Mm-hmm. What I find so interesting is she contrasts the kind of um, sickly sweet lyrics with almost a defeated quality to it. It says she's almost as performing the end of the movie, The Rose. Like there's something slightly um, melancholic about this reading. It's why no one has ever. Yeah, it's why no one has ever successfully covered this song. Like people have done this song. Like Patti LaBelle has recorded this song. I think Shania Twain recorded this song. But no one has a success with it because it's Bette's harshness of her voice, the kind of brokenness, that she's someone reminding herself of something. It's like a prayer for someone who doesn't have love. Or that had love like, and is just wishing it back. Some say love, it is a river that drowns the tender some say love is a razor that leaves your soul to be. Some say love 
Like the thing that kills me in the performance is when she hugs herself, she gives herself a little bit of a hug. Mm -hmm. And then the only other move she does is when she says, for the lucky and the strong. Together. Yep. Oh my God. We're sick. We are sick, bitch. We should be put in an insane asylum. We are sick. We're sick. (laughs) When the night has been too lonely That snap, fuck, I realize this time it's fuck, like, it's like, who cares, like, we are breaking down moment to moment of this reading of Rose, as if it was some, so pop. yes, it's so good, but it is, y'all as, as, as if so it's good. what, like, one of the greatest pop anthems of all time, it is. You think that people who listen to this podcast aren't expecting this? You think that we're surprising anybody? No, no, I just... Oh. Okay, so then she does another song from the Rose called Fire Down Below, which is fucking I fun. love this one. The kicks when she's just, just kicking the air. Yeah, again, and turns I also love, it back up to. So this, yeah, this is her rose song it back cycle. Up to a thousand. Her rose yes. song cycle that she just that she just goes boom, 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 boom into. And um, uh, she didn't do this in her first concert. She did um, in the Majestic. 
She does some. I think right. she does. Um, Soul my soul to rock and roll or whatever. I'm she so does. glad because this is. I. I. That song's okay. This song's terrific. <laughs> This song is also about sex. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so sexy. I mean, she's like lifting up her skirt and like fanning herself. And I was like, Jesus, fu- she's on fire. And I love it when she turns upstage to the band to just sing a whole verse to them. I know. And gives the audience her back. Uh-huh. She just like removes herself. Uh-huh. Also kind of just like jam, like doing the jam out, you know, with her crew. Mm-hmm. To be like, we're also yeah. in all of this together and like swing with them. information we have in the world is from of this period is from this great book called the divine bet midler by james spada and also I doubt it's still in print yeah oh yeah we even said we gotta we gotta y'all remember how we always laugh about going to the library and scrolling through the old newspapers on that big old machine we because there's just not if you can't well you can't tell because we, we act like we wrote this goddamn thing um because there's just not that much information actually online anymore. My beloved um, a bet on the boards, which was all dedicated to her concert years, this is the best site of my entire life is gone. Thank God we still have you, Don. Don. Yes, and bootleg, bootleg Betty. Betty. Thank, thank God. You. Thank you, Don. We love you. Um, so we, we had to get bring out our books. We had to break out our books. We had to, we had to, and let me tell you all, there's more information in books than the internet because the internet is basically just for ads. <laughs> That's, that's Nick's anti-internet um, PSA. Yeah, that's, that's my... Because <laughs> she really did change her voice. She learned how to sing and move in an entirely different way for the Rose. Mm. And she like she brings Mary Rose Foster into this concert in a way in, that's incredible. And especially with the next song, which is, of course, my favorite song ever. Yeah, I cannot believe, again, she, she, she um, does a thing where she... Where you're like exhausted from this performance, and she's like, "Oh, hold mm-hmm. up! Like, if you thought that that was, I got six more minutes of fucking." It's true. It's truly that. Like, it's truly that Judy Garland thing of like, "Oh no, she's gonna die before the end of this number." Mm-hmm. She's oh. like one of the only other performers other than Judy who I feel that with, and I hear that was true of Edith Piaf too. But you really think she's gonna die before the end of the number? Also, like, those intense... This song is called Stay With Me. We covered it in the pilot, and we're going to do it again. The breath she does at the beginning, she does these, like, sharp inhales to get herself ready for it. It's She goes so far past what is safe. 
Where did you go? Where you things went wrong, baby? Who did you run to find a shoulder to lay your head upon? Baby, wasn't I around? And Linda Hart was one of the harlots in the uh, Broadway version of this show, and she's a great actor. And singer. and she says that um, she says that like you know they you know they're on tour. It's so grueling, and that Bet would be you know not in great voice or be losing her voice. And so Linda Hart said the the I would I would always always leave my dressing room to go and see how it was that she could pull through. And just slam this song night after night. And she said, that's the hardest working performer I have ever known in my entire life. When she gets bare, she's barefoot for this song. And she gets up on her fucking toes and does that back bend in the middle of it. I fully, I've seen this performance, I don't know, 600 times. And I fully just, like, full tears. Who did you touch when, when you need a tenderness, baby? Oh, I gave you, I gave you so much. And in return, I found myself some happiness. Baby, what did I do?
I the only thing that I would change in this performance, which she changes after this in subsequent. Oh no, then she brings it back, and I don't like what I. The thing that I love is when she changes the monologue, and reshapes the song, and I, I love that. I wish she would have done that as opposed to doing the movie well, monologue. But the thing that's so moving about this monologue, though, this time is that her mom just died, and I couldn't stop thinking of, of um, how much she was just singing to Judith mm. in this song the entire time. Mm. And just that, like, I know she had, like, a tough relationship with... Her parents. Or definitely her dad, but also her mom. And just that thing, as I go on my continual queer journey and trouble with my family, like, you just need that love. Like, and in this song, this incredible just need that cry, that screaming out for someone to just actually love you. You know, when I first sang this song I thought it was about a man and a woman no I ain't so sure maybe it's about your ma or your pa or some friend that you counted on Who left you hurting real bad? Funny the kind of things that go through your head when you sing a song as deep as this one. And then I love that the switch in the song where it's like, well, maybe this time I'll do, I'll be the one. Maybe like yeah. I'm like I can't keep getting hurt, so maybe I'll take that hurt and change it onto someone else. Yeah, I'll be the one that maybe says goodbye. I'll, uh, maybe I'll remove my yeah. love. Maybe I'll remove myself. Maybe this time I should be the one to go away. Cause it ain't if I turn to have somebody grab a hold of me and say, No, don't go. You can go. It's just the most, it's just the most, it's, yeah, the song is deep as this one, right? Oh, 
And then she switches it all up for you again and introduces, kind of for the first time in this show, her character, Dolores DeLago, the toast of Chicago, no pitch. who is Go ahead. a mermaid in a wheelchair. Yes. Yes, um, it's fun. <laughs> you know, and I will say, like, this is definitely my, in general, my least favorite part of any Bette Midler concert. It's, yes. it's just like, it's kind of just, she takes out what what's so dynamic about her... Um, act which is just like being raw and um interpreting music and just and kind of just like leans into and i'm already like you're already doing the shtick of like sending up songs and kind of yeah. like doing the showbiz act like you we already see you do that because her whole thing is like dolores Salago is a lounge singer and she, she she actually but this is my favorite version i think this is my absolute favorite version. well it's the dolores only good Salago. thing michael ritchie did was he cut it yeah he cuts it and and I yeah, I, which it needed. But I loved all the songs she sings, and we uh, my favorite is her. And 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 so she's Dolores Lago. She's in a wheelchair. She's singing. She's doing all of her hammy bits, and then she her, her legs break free, uh, like and she realizes she has legs, and um, and she she goes into I would say the absolute best version of that fucking schlocky song My Way by Frank Sinatra. <laughs> Regrets. I've had a few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charter course, each careful step along the byway. Yes, but more. Much more than this. I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off all that I could chew. Yes, through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I'm standing tall. Move, you sucker. Yes. love her my way in this <laughs> like she loves taking down frank sinatra yes like her she did a, a cover of strangers in the night like a disco great, cover of strangers that's so good so, so that's my favorite part of that whole thing but this is also my favorite yeah because he cuts it and because it's short y'all if you yeah. well if you had the privilege of seeing a ben miller concert sometimes she can go full 20 minutes and then she continues on the comedy train with Ugh, one of her most iconic hits, Chapel of Love. So I, so what do you think about this? I think, my mind, is that this this definitely was um, cut and screwed, chopped and pasted in here, because this is not in the timeline of this concert, and especially with like her hair stuff. <laughs> I'm kind of like, whoa, I think they had to add this. They must, I'm like, in my fantasies, they added this just one night, because the set is so enormous that you never it's see huge. again. 
She's this massive birthday cake set comes out and she has on this double sided costume. So when her back is to you, she looks like a big man, like with this weird hat. And then when she turns around, we'll put on Instagram. She's a bride with this kind of enormous veil. It's really cool. And the, the Harlette's dresses are on fire. Yeah, so I love all of the sets. This is, I never really need to hear Chapel of Love. It, it like, it's a fun ditty, but it's not something that I ever... No, but her whale, her whale on it in this is fucking hot. Yeah, her, again, her, this is my favorite read that she does of this song. was also I just had this thought I was like fuck this is so weird like she is truly one of the only ever complete and utter originals (laughs) no one's been like her before or since she like walks out with this taste or lack of taste or weird taste that is so absolutely her own yeah it's It's idiosyncratic kind of um she follows she follows that and some it's not I guess what it's, I think a lot of it is it's not very cool. Yeah. Like it's not Or it cool is really cool because... I mean, it's cool for us, but it's not... I don't think of the time. People were really hungering for this strange, bizarre version of Chapel of Love going into Boogie 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 Boy. Which is another song I never have to hear again. It's just really like, but it was also like her main hit that like broke her yeah, out. Song that you know? started it all, as she would say in one of her concerts. I also love that she stands in a line with the Harlettes. Mm-hmm. They aren't backing her. They're like a group in this number. Mm-hmm. She wears a really cute blue bikini. Uh, she looks gorgeous. And but the thing on this one, I mean, the Harlettes. She are has so a, 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 a shawl that or she has a sash that says "Community Chest." <laughs> Yes, and at the end, that fucking scat that she does at the end kills me. Yeah. This is a good, I, but again, a song that you know. Both those songs are great. They're a little. This section just seems to just, is just is it's really fun. It's really cinematic. I think they needed a really cinematic kind of moment, moment in yeah. and there, and they and they and they really give it to you. It's it's yeah. It's some and it's also some of the best lighting too. The lighting there is actually really good. Yeah, you can actually see people. Kel surprise. Kel surprise. And then I think we go back um, into the concert. I think we go back into what is was the. Um, which we also covered in the first episode. Do we? Yeah, we cover this song fully in the first episode. This is her version of the E Street Shuffle. Um, my favorite. This is uh, not, this Street is my favorite. And leader of the pack. This is your favorite. Um, yes, because I love when she does a medley, mm-hmm. and which I which I always I, call a melody, <laughs> um, and uh, and. 
And she, she, so you never, so she does this specifically and only ever for this um, film. She doesn't do it live ever. She never brings this nope. back. So this is like nope. her create, kind of her um, special specific creation. And um, she, she, she comes out in a Dalmatian pantsuit, not pantsuit, a Dalmatian yeah. um, onesie. onesie. Skin tight with a big red belt and these red pumps. Uh, this is, I, oh, I, I love, th- so this, all the fashion in this too is, I think, one of my fa- my favorite fashion moments for her. I love everything she wears. Yes. It's like everything. Every single outfit is so beautiful. This is also her kind of fuck with New Wave, mm-hmm. which she kept threatening to do. There's this great quote from the James Spada book. Someone asked her if she's going to try new try like jumping onto the New Wave bandwagon. And she says, I think I should jump onto every musical bandwagon and really drive people mad. Just irritate them to shit so they say, she's such a cow. She'll jump on any musical bandwagon. Shit. Why not? I'll bleach my hair and rip up my clothes. I think it's fun. I'm getting silly in my old age. <laughs> um, I just love that her goal is to make everyone say she's a cow. <laughs> so she, she does the, she, she starts with the Bruce Springsteen song, uh, you know, just about a hot summer night. It's 93 degrees, and the radio says a storm front's moving in. Sure is hot. There's a double feature down at the Fox, but everybody's seen it twice. The air is hot and heavy and wet, and you just can't get out. That's when sparks fly on the street When the little girls walk in looking so hot And the little boys' souls grow weak When the girls give him a double shot second song which is actually i listened i've listened to the original it's a man song in which she's yeah. singing to a young girl which, yeah but she like a lolita story kind of way but i also love how she turns from predator to prey the clouds were afraid one ten in the shade and the pavement was from the ground. i saw billy ray in his red chevrolet i needed time for some drinking Just passing by when I caught that boy's eye, and I swore it was me. 
was on the touch. I thought I'd touch somebody's finger. I go back in my mind. For the very first time. Which is so sexy. Is. And then she fucks an imaginary man on the floor of the stage. Yeah, she fucks the leader of the pack, which is also one of her moldy oldies. That that's where she really throws a new um, new wave in into and gets real punk. Mm-hmm. And her backup singers are real punk looking. And this is also very cinematic. I it think gets real, it real gets real punk. Never, never, never. Gosh, it's it's fire. The whole thing is just so, is this is if I had to like show someone something of this concert, I would maybe do this because it's a tour de force and it. Well, you know, before we had this pot. Before we had this podcast, <laughs> I used to I used to have what I called my my betchucation email, where whenever anyone was like, "Can you explain to me the Bette Midler thing?" Because I don't really get it. I'm like, "Do you really want to learn?" And I will send them. I did this to my friend Kristen Milioti when we were doing a play together. And I sent, and Elizabeth Marvel, she was in that play too. And they were like, we have to understand this about you. So I would send them eight links to eight different YouTubes. And this is one of them. And like, I remember Kristen coming back to the dressing room the next day after she had watched it. She was like, I completely understand now. She's the most brilliant performer I've ever seen in my life. I mean, we're really, we're really committing to the, I mean, we've talked about this and we're really committing now to um, creating a forever document of this is that this is the nightmare of us being together around people. Like this is Mm -hmm. what would be like every one of our friends, pure, pure hell is if they couldn't speak or move and they had to like... (laughs) They just had to sit there like, and not tell us to stop. Like this is this is what we're literally doing. The thing that I think like everyone couldn't imagine. So congrats to us. <laughs> Yay! Congratulations to us. After that uh, amazing song, she goes into her Sophie Tucker jokes, which is also another part of her comedy in the show. She pulls out these moldy oldies Soph jokes. What? What was your? Which is your favorite? From I this was more thinking about how much you love these, and you're always so much better at memorization than I am, and so I, I never really. Um, she doesn't do my favorite ones. Um, the one I've forgotten so, about that I'm obsessed with is the confessional one. I will never forget it. You know, my girlfriend Clementine, um, at the height of burlesque, was a great, great stripper. But she hated her profession so violently, she used to have to run to confession in between performances. One day, she completely forgot to put her shirt back on, ran into the church, nipples to the wind. A young priest stopped her, said, Madam, you cannot come into the house of the Lord dressed in that fashion. She said, Father, I have a divine right. He said, well, your left ain't bad either, but you gotta cover your head. (laughs) (laughs) She actually has really good pattern. This This is more natural. This is less cutting. This is like... Yeah, there's a lot of really good patter in here that I'm obsessed with. I... Huh? 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 Who? The taco joke? This is a bunch of scumbags. This is a bunch of low life. That you want me to put this on film? Hey. 
I'm dumb, but I ain't that dumb. I know just how far I can go with the American public, kids. Boy, you guys want a lot for 10 bucks, don't you? Shit. I'd hate to be the hooker that found my herself with y'all, I'll tell you the truth. So the next song is called Rainbow Sleeve, which is cut from the VHS version, also known as my version, but Jason had it in his version. It's a Tom Waits song. I love, love, love it. I love it, I think, it's so a, much. It's a pride anthem. It's a pride anthem, for sure. I love it so much. I think I loved it because I didn't know it existed for a really long time until mm-hmm. like the YouTube allowed me and, and Bootleg Betty, Mr. D, showed, showed it to me and I was like, oh, whoa, like... This gives a lot of great context to this. This is this is Beth's performance art section. Art baby, you know. Mm-hmm. She starts changing her clothes right in front of us, and she puts on this ratty dress and sings this like ratty kind of tattered purple dress and sings. Is this bitch loves a lullaby? And this is kind of a little lullaby she sings to us. You used to dream yourself to sleep each night to places that you've never seen. That leads us into this magic lady act that yes. also she never brings back. This is kind of it. No, kind never of never brings again. back. This is kind of the apex of magic lady, though. So magic lady is, I don't know, this kind of vagabond woman in this kind of very tattered, like lots of clothes on a park bench. And she, the bitch literally does mime. Like she does a For bird some, this mime. This is very long. This would maybe be if like, I was like, if you want to cut something, this is, I love it because it's a different act. Totally. I love. I mean, but you know, you're at the apex of your career in show business when you're like, and now I'm going to do a mime act with a bird that like poops on my head. That's a joke. But it's also like this is this clown of hers is in a lot of the concerts. There's um, it's the same clown as the bar clown as the fried egg lady. It's this kind of lost woman who is kind of 
down and out. She's down and out, and but with she's yeah. down and out. And I mean, there's really this beautiful clip from that Barbara Walters interview. You're very compassionate on stage yes. to older people, older women. I mean, some of the most touching numbers you do about the bag lady, the old mm-hmm. lady, old people. Yeah. Yes. Where did this come from? I, you know, I tell you, I don't really know. I have a funny way of looking at things. I, I have a, I don't know what caused it, but I've always been, uh, I've always felt sorry for human beings. I've always felt real, real, real sorrow for them, for their, uh, I don't know where it came from. Uh, that's the side of me that is the deepest, that, that is the, that's the biggest part of my life, is this feeling that I have that it's, isn't it too bad that we are human beings? Because human beings really aren't very nice, you know, and they have all the equipment to be grand and noble, mm-hmm. and yet they never make use of it. And everywhere I turn, I see it, and it makes me, it just makes me sad. I don't know. So then you go out on the stage, and, and, then, I, and then I make them laugh, and it's better for a while. You know, because it's better for me when I laugh. You know, I, I really love a good laugh. I haven't had one in a dog day. <laughs> um, I know I feel better when I laugh. And it, it lifts me up out of that, you know. I think, like, you know, the thing is, I, obviously we've talked about everything about Bette Midler, but Bette Midler is, Bette Midler, the actual person, is not body. She's bookish. She's, um, you know... Uh, not really glamorous. She's not brassy. Uh, she's shy. shy. And I think that this is kind of more of who she really is, kind of what she really is kind of more into, is this kind of um, sensitive, sh- strange uh, uh, place. And I think that this is her kind of sh- being able to show that more. Yeah, and the next concert after this is called Detour, and it's really, really weird. And she's very influenced by, like... German artists and um, uh, performance art. It's 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 supposedly the greatest concert she ever gave. I have, I've watched on YouTube, but I would do anything to anything, go back and time anything, and see it again. anything to see that full concert. And she also sings "Do You Want to Dance" as the Magic Lady, which is really beautiful. And then she kind of like sheds the Magic Lady and does a medley, which is my favorite song. My favorite song too. Um, of the Rolling Stones, you can't always get what you want, and Bob Dylan's "I Shall Be Released." This still, this still shows up in my top five every year. Spotify to let me know. Yeah, this is to be played at my funeral and in the ending credits of the movie of my life. Yeah, this song gets me so into it that like I see myself on stage doing it. Do you ever do that where you're just like mm. living it? So yes. Hard? Yes, it's my favorite. It's my favorite, favorite, favorite. I saw her today. At the reception, she had a glass of wine in her hand. She said, Well, now I have to go meet my connection. At her feet was a footloose man. I heard her say, You can't always give what you want. You can't always. You can't always get what you want But if you try sometimes, you just might find
Pisces at the end of this she oh. runs up to the harlots mm-hmm. and she hugs them and you can feel that and I know that feeling mm. too of having been really sick and performed and you're like oh my god I made it through I did it also she's acknowledging like the group aspect of it and she she mm-hmm. she, she did this she, when she would perform she started performing this song in the continental bass I'm sure we talked about this in the first episode I know I did it I'm gonna say it again and she would end it with we shall be released and yeah. she kind of and she does in this concert she does too. It in this concert mm-hmm. you know which it's a liberation yeah. anthem yeah it's 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 kind of including all of us and all of our and anyone all, your burden she's kind of letting us yeah. know that we shall we shall overcome the, the obstacles that are are with us and to me she's also singing it to her girls too like we're going to be released mm-hmm. from this like hellish schedule yeah when she gets into the when she all before the hug when she gets in line with them and sings that's my favorite moment of the whole concert oh me too oh, girl, me too, me too. Honey. it's it's so good there are lots of different cool versions of this on youtube if you want to go but there she always like leaves the stage at the end and then comes back drama queen queen like like you think she's done but no she's gonna sing she's gonna sing the refrain eight more times Um, on on the end of notes, because that because that's kind of how the move that's she, she keeps coming out and she always she not acknowledges the band and she acknowledges her girls. Does every diva do that? Does every diva announce every single member of the band's name? Yes, you know what they do. A lot a lot of them do. Cher does. Cher does that. Um, I can't imagine like Barbara or no one has Diana no one really has that. the her act is is you know she includes the Harlets as part of her real act. They're not backup singers. You know, there, no. there's choreo and there's all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, I actually... They're really a girl group. Yeah, they're a, yeah it's a group. And um, anyway, so she, she does that and then it ends with her like running back on stage for the last time with... You're like, she must be spent, but she does a handstand. <laughs> she mm-hmm. literally does headstand, a handstand. Like yeah. a headstand. But it's a little controversial because that's not how... Bet never ends her concerts on, on, on that on that dramatic note the film did and i totally get it i can i saw the arc of it and mm-hmm. i still think it did end kind of on the upswing because it was like exuberant but she yeah it's a prayer it's an exaltation but she brings it back she usually and she and actually ends that concert with friends and right. um, and kind of just kind of wraps it back up into a real bow of joy um, and and yeah. so was, there was a little bit like you know her diehard fans and bruce and bruce valanche who helped write the material was kind of like upset about that because that's like the true the true power that's the true ethos of bet is that you feel all Mm -hmm. your feelings and then she throws you right back up and sends you out of the door she saves you with that joy Mm -hmm. she saves you with that she saves you with silliness Mm -hmm. exactly you know like if you were in the bottom of your heart she's gonna like give you a little poke and a giggle so she yeah she does a a headstand which also the other concert we were talking about live at last on the back of that album she's in her She's in her headstand too. Oh, yep. Yeah. She, gosh, she loves a headstand. 
But that's what she does with these songs. A lot of like these reinterpretations that she does or these reimaginings, she's literally like standing them on their head. She's subverting it. Um, yeah. Any other notes, well, my that's, babies? That's Any? divine madness. Yeah. That's that's divine madness, kids. We are. That's what um, happens when you listen to this podcast. <laughs> and we do something about Ben Midler. We um, have a lot of great episodes coming up for you. We tell us about what your favorite concert is too. By the way, yeah, send us in stories of your favorite concert. Send us in stories of times you saw Bet in concert. <laughs> <laughs> And also, like, while I think a lot of the reason we did this episode this week is while you're doing all of this good hard work and thinking about all these really tough issues, you can't do that 24 hours a day. So remember to recharge with the things that bring you joy, that just bring you pure, unadulterated joy. And And that's really important right now because that recharges your battery and it makes you remember what you love in this world as long as those things aren't deeply problematic. So examine them and then just let them give you joy. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, you know, I had that, you know, I had, you know, I was going through, uh, you know, like we all are trying to work through a whole process, trying to learn, stay educated and get involved. And there was something about I neglecting joy that felt important to me for for a second, you know, like I didn't listen to music for a, a while for whatever reason, like something about that just felt like I couldn't do that. I couldn't give myself that, but it actually is so important and it's okay. Like it's okay yes. to to do that important thing about of recharging and um mm-hmm. And it helps you get excited. And taking care yeah, of your heart. Take care of yourself. Then yeah. you can take care of others, babies. Mm-hmm. Battle, battle kittens. And we hope you, we hope you do that because we have to be ready to begin again to, every day. Yeah, we're going to begin again. Black lives matter. Black lives Black matter. Lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Um, please, um, we're going to keep that link up to donate. Um, find the places where you can give your money if you can and uh, we we love love you you. and as Nick was saying every day is another day because we'll be ready ready to begin again ready to begin again love you battle angels (laughs) love you battle angels thanks for listening bye I'll be ready ready to begin again I'll be looking young young and bright I try
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.